The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 633 for Sunday, November 27th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App. The show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share your questions. We answer your tips. We share your cool stuff found or something like that in a different order most of the time. But today, folks, it's time for a deep, deep, deep dive. That's right. We're going to be talking about routers today and how to choose a router for yourself. And in part of, in that process, we're going to answer some of your questions, too. Sponsors for this episode include Fat Cat Software. At fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, where you can get a great deal on Power Photos, which is what every photos user needs. We'll talk more about that in a minute here. First, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, a wash in Wi-Fi goodies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and routing goodies. Yeah. Yeah. I had, had uh, uh, quite a bit of fun over the last... Uh, Last week, taking all these things and trying them out. And, and who are you? Oh, I guess I'm John F. Braun here. That's right. There you go. I was wondering if the 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 all the extra RF finally completed the 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 frying of your brain. But uh, but I guess not. We're almost there. Yeah. Well, as you saw, I got quite a bit of uh, Wi-Fi's surrounding me, dude. When you when you were here earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, do. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just from your neighbors, let alone what you've turned on in the last couple of weeks as we've been testing all this stuff. Oh. Yeah. All right. So so let's let's um let's get into this because I think this is going to be interesting. Um first of all, we've been planning this for weeks and and researching it for even longer than that and testing things and I think my family is truly sick of all the different networks that have been appearing and disappearing and, and all the tests and the, Hey, the Wi-Fi is going to go down for a while comments and all of that. But just this week, Mark Gurman over at uh, Bloomberg now reported that Apple is getting out of the router business or has gotten out of the router business. And I think that uh, our timing is good here because regardless of that, people were interested in how to choose a router. And now, especially so for our, Apple focused audience. Uh, frankly, I think, <clears throat> and I don't want to talk too long about this because we've got lots to go through, John, but frankly, I think it's a good thing that Apple is getting out of it because they hadn't been doing anything to better that market in a long, long time. True. Yeah, I agree. So some people are, you know, yet again claiming Apple is doomed because they're not making such and such. But the thing is, if they can't add value, same with screens, you know, right. even in the early days. I got an Apple screen at one point, but it was a Trinitron tube. And then from that point on, I'm like, well, you yeah. know, I'll get Sony for a while. Well, and, and, and with routers, thing. I mean, Apple had to release the airport router because without it, the iBook would have connected to nothing in your home, right? There was no consumer grade um, Wi-Fi router when, when the iBook came out. So they had to do it. And, and it's good that they did, but the, sort of that that has run its course run its course and frankly I, I i'm sure the conversation inside of apple went something along the lines of okay hey um either we need to do the next phase of this which most likely would have been an apple branded mesh network 
Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about mesh networks, but that's not the only thing we're going to talk about because they're not necessarily the right thing for everyone. Uh, but uh, but I think in, certainly in terms of the ease of use and the widespread coverage, mesh is, is the, the way to go as we move forward. And uh, and if Apple didn't want to do that or didn't think they could add anything to the existing uh, offerings, then then get out of the way and let the other people do it, which is sort of the Apple way. So this is good. Um, this all started. Well, I mean, let's face it, we're obsessed with routers and Wi-Fi here. And uh, and so we've talked about them a lot. But um, but listener Michael uh, sort of set this up very, very well a few weeks ago when he said, um, I've changed my ISP to time Warner and now have the option of getting my own router rather than the one given to me by AT&T. I have two airport extremes that I plan to use as network extending access points via direct ethernet and plan to purchase a new router to use as the interface with the cable modem. Uh, Dave has mentioned that he experiments with routers quite frequently. And I'm wondering if you have a recommendation for a quality router that is relatively feature heavy and has a good user interface. I'm definitely interested in QOS and also just exploring and learning about the other features that a router can do. And uh, if there wasn't a better setup for this episode, I don't know what it is. So let's let's start, John, by talking about. So I, I see this as as sort of three different ways to go. You can have a single standalone router um, as, as you set up. And, and for many people, that's going to be OK uh, for people that need a little more coverage. Up until recently, the uh, process was range extenders, either wireless or wired. And, and in Michael's case, he's talking about wired. And then sort of the, the new evolution, the 2016 year of the router uh, bit is the the concept of mesh networks and we'll and we'll talk about what that means and and explore lots of options so let's start john though with with standalone routers right so your house is of a size or your 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 apartment or whatever it is is of a size where one access point one wireless access point is going to serve you um either because it's your you know your internet connection comes in in a centrally located place that then allows that one access point to serve your house or your house's of a size where, where that's not an issue with that. My recommendation is at the very least, get what's called an AC 1900 router um, because you want two bands of radios. You want 2.4 gigahertz and five gigahertz, and you want 802.11 AC capability at a bare minimum in that router. And, uh, and, and, and thoughts on this, John. Uh, my thought would be that to decode what that means. So what does Thank AC you. 1900 mean? Well, um, what you do is you take what my colleague said here. So you're going to have a 2.4 and a 5 gigahertz. And for example, AC 1900 means that you're going to have a 600 megabit per second, 2.4 channel, and 1300 megabit per second, 5 gig channel. You add the 1300 and the 600, voila, that's 1900. So that's what that AC something means. and the larger the number, the more oomph and the more bandwidth you get. That's but, right. Um, yeah, but I'm with you at the very least. And, you know, that's currently what I have. So let, I'm going to I'm going to actually add to that because I think it's important to understand 2.4 gigahertz at 600 megabits per second means we're on 802.11 N there. And five gigahertz at 1300 megabits per second means we're on 802.11 AC. So if you have a five gigahertz device that doesn't speak AC, 
like our old MacBook Airs and and things like that, uh, then those will speak 802.11n over the five gigahertz channel two and won't go quite as fast as, as the 1300. In fact, they'll probably max out somewhere between 450 and 600, depending on how many streams each radio has. And, and that will be an important thing as we, as we march forward here. Right, John? Yes. Okay. So choices for these standalone dual band routers and that's what you're going to see these as these ac 1900s uh ac of course because they support 802.11 ac 1900 as john just explained um they're going to be dual band routers i like uh there's two of them that i like a lot the synology rt 1900 ac that we've talked about here the the user interface is probably the best ui that i've ever seen certainly the best web ui that i've ever seen on a router and it comes from synology's long history of making disk stations with a great web UI. So there's a lot of sort of institutional learning there that they've applied. And then the, uh, the Netgear R7000. And so the Synology one, I think is about 160 bucks, um, which is on the high end of price for an AC 1900 router. The Netgear R7000 isn't, I don't want to say old, but it's a, it's a workhorse and it's been around a little while, but they keep updating the firmware on it and keep it up to date. And it really, really, uh, can get the job done with coverage. Uh, and that's, that's about 110, 120 bucks for, uh, for that one. And then, and then you've got one that you like too, John, actually at the lower end of the, of the price range of those. Yeah. And I got this one. It was uh, at one point, uh, wire cutter. Yep. I believe is the publication, uh, actually took a look at this series and, and I got one that's close to it. And I know a lot of the, uh, other Mac cool kids got this one as well, but this is the TP link Archer C nine. And, uh, I mean, for the money, I think the, it, it was under a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. I, when I you decided, can get them for 89. I just looked on Amazon this morning. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was my first non Apple router. When I moved from the 802.11 N sure. airport, I'm like, you know, I got to get something different because the airport's just not cutting it. <laughs> and it's really great. You can even, um, you can even put, uh, as far as I know, I think all of these, if you want to put the uh, firmware that my, colleague here really likes and uh alternative firmware ddwrt i believe all these devices will accept this third party um the synology will not at the moment but then the r7000 is regularly used by the uh, ddwrt crowd and and as is your your tp link c9 for sure and i really like ddwrt and we'll come back around to the the folks that like that or the folks that like their existing router but want to do something different with wi-fi uh, as we get later in the show so, um, if you have a, uh, well, if you're crazy like me, I, and I think really this is where the, I think that's, that's the, the distinction for this next part here. You can get a tri-band router, meaning three radios in your router. And when, when you get a tri-band router, what that means is you still have the one 2.4 gigahertz band, and then you have two five gigahertz bands uh five gigahertz tends not to go through walls as well as 2.4 but it goes through walls pretty well uh especially with high powered radios and so you can run one of these what they call ac 5300 routers uh that have tri-band you know three radios in them my two favorites of those are the netgear r8500 
and the D-Link DIR-895L, which looks like a crazy... These are both monstrous devices, um, but uh, the D-Link one has antennas all over it, and it's it's kind of crazy. But um, I, I like these because they, it, depending on the software that you have on them, they can do some things uh, that I'll call band steering, meaning... And, and different manufacturers call it different things. But if the router notices that one of the five gigahertz radios is starting to get congested, it can actually move devices to the other five gigahertz radio and, and balance that. So you can get really, really high throughput uh, on the, on, you know, on the same network. And this can be handy for things like uh, streaming at multiple devices, right? If you've got, multiple people in the house streaming Netflix simultaneously having multiple radios that those devices can use means that you're not having to fight for access to the one radio because despite the fact that these, we, we talked about the number of st simultaneous streams and, and that's different from Netflix streams, but the, the number of simultaneous connections that can happen to one radio. Uh, and a lot of these we're talking about uh, either two and you'll see this listed in, in router um, documentation. It'll be two by two, three by three, or sometimes even four by four. And what that's telling you is the number of streams in both directions. So two by two means that the radio can do two streams in one direction outbound and two streams inbound. And for an 802.11 N connection, each stream is worth 150 megabits per second. So if it's a two by two radio, that means it can do 300 in each direction. If it's a three by three radio for 50 in each direction and a four by four radio means 600 in each direction. This makes a difference when you're using 802.11 and, and, and the same is true with AC. Unfortunately, most routers and most client devices will only support one device connected to a radio at a time. So let's say your devices are either one by one or two by two, as many of our devices are, even if the radio can support four streams, if it's connected to a device with two, it can't use those other two streams for another device. So this is why having multiple radios can really help. Now there is a spec that allows those other two to be used. It's called multi-user MIMO, multiple in, multiple out. But the problem is none of our Apple client devices currently support this multi-user MIMO, uh, even if our routers did, and everything would need to support it in order for it to work. So this is why a tri-band router can be very, very helpful because you can start to spread this stuff around and you, you, de you can deal with or alleviate that congestion that can happen when you have multiple people needing high-speed streams to and from uh, the router. Did I get that, John? Did I do all right on that one? Uh, I, yep, I think you did. And and just to, to throw in a tidbit here, uh, what to uh, try to avoid, if at all possible. So the whole MIMO multi-stream thing yeah. started with 802.11n. That's right. Mentioned, and is also part of 802.11ac and 802.11ad is the new thing that is uh, emerging. Uh, I don't think we've quite seen the devices yet, but that's going to be the next thing. Um, what you do want to avoid is anything that has 802.11 G, A, or B, because sure. those, those are the older... Now, you may have some really old devices that, that 
for whatever reason they want to save money on the radio. But if you can at all possible, weed those devices out of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they're just relatively slow and uh, they don't support the, uh, the multi-stream thing again right. that came with n and so that yeah so that yeah yeah there's multi-streams and then multi-users multi-stream is supported by most of the clients but like you said not some of them especially not the the g ones uh the multi-user meaning more than one user simultaneously connected to the same radio uh is not is not widely supported yet and i honestly don't think we're going to get there and i'll we'll sort of explain that we'll explain why along our path but um it, it you might think your devices are all connected to the same radio and they are associated with the same radio, but no one device is talking at the same time as another device. So it's kind of this round robin process of, all right, I'm going to let you talk for a little while and I'm going to let you, then I'm going to let you talk and then you talk and then we'll come back to the first one and sort of go around and around. And that can be the, the airtime fairness is the uh, technology that, limits that by time as opposed to data sent and and we won't get too deep into that right here uh suffice to say if you have a lot of users in your home it makes sense to have a lot of radios um because that's the way that you alleviate wi-fi congestion it's not necessarily the way that you alleviate wi-fi dead spots but multiple radios will alleviate wi-fi congestion okay so that's why you might, even if you're in a standalone router situation in terms of coverage, you might want one of these, what I'll call crazy. And they're like three to $400 devices, uh, tri-band radios in order to get that multiple radio thing into your home. So hopefully that part makes sense. Um, the pain points of standard or standalone wireless routers is... When you have a larger home, right? Um, multiple devices can hurt, but we talked about one of the solutions there. But certainly with a larger home, one radio or one fixed location for all of your radios might not cut it. Um, and we've all experienced this, or if not at our homes, then certainly, you know, as we visit other homes. It's like, oh, yeah, the Wi-Fi doesn't really work in that back bedroom or the Wi-Fi doesn't really work in the kitchen or whatever it is. And that can be very, very frustrating. Um, and that's where we'll kind of segue into the next thing, unless there's anything you want to add here, John. I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to see if we can get a recommendation here as far as... Um Yes, I think you're talking so, uh, as far as how far you can expect a lot of these 802.11ac versus n to go. Um, I don't know. The guidance I seem to see here is perhaps a couple of hundred feet, maybe 300 feet maximum. Out, outdoors. Sure. Inside, you'll never get that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 100 or 150 feet is what you could expect. Because, yeah, there's all this stuff. In Dude, there's metal or water. There's no or, way. People's homes are not 150 feet wide, and yet Wi-Fi can't do it. I, I mean, I think you're talking for realistic Wi-Fi coverage. I, I think you're talking, you know, 50 to 75 feet max inside a home through walls. I mean, my, you know, my house isn't 150 feet. And yet there's no way that I would get coverage from the basement, you know, the basement of, of the first floor 
or the, sorry, the basement is our first floor, you know, one corner of the basement up to the opposite corner of the, the top floor of the house. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's not 150 feet. That's, you know, maybe 50 or 75 going diagonal. Yeah. So yeah. then that brings, that begs the question, what do you do what if do you, you want to go beyond right. that? So uh, expected or, or right. Hope, hopefully expected range. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's and like you said, it's going to depend on, on what's in your walls and what's in the way of your walls, refrigerators, you know, metal makes it worse. Plaster makes it worse. Sheetrock's not so bad. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, so wireless range extenders are the, are the first answer that, that sort of we were all presented with and they still exist. Wireless range extenders used to really suck. Uh, I mean, it was like, it was the only reason you bought them was to make yourself feel better. It didn't actually help your, your Wi-Fi coverage. Um, how that was, what was it? it was WDS I think was, uh, the, yeah. the standard that it revolved around. And it was, it was a really hokey. Th- it was also very complicated. Uh, it, it usually got very complicated to set up. Even Apple's implementation was, uh, was kind of a pain in the neck. Yeah. Or, I mean, a lot of them didn't even use WDS. They would just find your Wi-Fi signal and then rebroadcast it for you. Uh, but the problem is they were taking a weak signal and rebroadcasting it weekly, um, depending on where you placed this thing. And there wasn't enough bandwidth in the the older 802.11b or G uh, standards to, to really do this properly. That began to change with 802.11n, and it really changed with AC. Um, prior to AC, they just didn't work. After 802.11ac, wire extenders, wireless range extenders, they work okay. They can work okay. Um, you know, being that it's wireless, there's still a lot going on uh, that is hard to. There's a lot of moving parts, even once you've sort of fixed the locations of these things, and and there's no intelligence between the devices, and that's where it that's where it gets very frustrating. You know, there's nothing. If you're, it's totally up to the client to decide which device to associate with. The devices aren't looking at each other and saying, hey, which of us is the right one for that client? Because the client can't know how many other devices are connected to that one access point, how that access point's connection is doing, right? So if it's your extender, the extender is generally going to get its signal wirelessly. It's certainly in the wireless range extender. Uh, it will. And the client has no idea what that scenario looks like. It's just saying, that's the best. That's the closest one for me. That's the best signal for me. I'm going to associate with that or even worse with Apple uh, hardware. And by hardware, I mean, client devices. A lot of times the range extenders use a different network name, a different SSID and if that SSID is prioritized in your network list, you're going to choose it, even if it's not the strongest one for you. So this is where range extenders can be. They can work, uh, especially if they're using 802.11ac as sort of what I'll call the backhaul, the the connection between the range extender and the router. And, and that backhaul, we're going to come back around to the concept of backhaul um, a little bit here. But uh, but they, they can they can work. But it's a frustrating scenario and it's a blind, what I call a blind scenario or a half blind scenario. Um, the, the router and the access point are not involved in the decision making process. And it can, it can cause a problem, right? I mean, you, you and I actually experienced this when I was at your house 
uh, what a week and a half ago, we set up a, a TP-Link RE350K, which is a AC 1200 uh, range extender. And we associated it with your network and it worked just fine. And then we tried streaming a movie from my iPad. Well, actually not from my iPad, from my disc station at home here in New Hampshire to my iPad and then from my iPad to your Apple TV. But what that meant was that movie needed to stream across your network three times, right? It needed to stream from the disc station to my iPad. It then needed to stream from my iPad to your Apple TV. But that meant not going straight to the Apple TV generally. It meant going back to your access point and then from the access point to your Apple TV. And we had all kinds of problems with it um, using the range extender because the range extender now added a fourth layer of bandwidth in there. And so once we sort of got the range extender out of the mix and positioned the iPad closer to the main access point, then we were able to do this, but we had to think about it. We had to be geeks about it. And that's never fun. I mean, actually it was a whole lot of fun, but it, mm -hmm. it, it was frustrating when in the middle of the movie, we paused it and couldn't get it to play again for 20 minutes. Yeah. No, but, uh, and I, I did refine the uh, location and uh, okay. configuration of this device, which I, I think has led to uh, better results in that that room is, a terrible room because I get crummy reception. Well, there's, you know, a wall with probably lots of metal and sure, you know, all sorts of other devices and stuff in there. But, um, the nice thing about the software for, well, the not so nice thing is by default using their setup procedure, it names it differently. And, uh, which is standard with most range extenders. And I would humbly suggest that that's probably not the best strategy. I agree. And that I did find, so using, so they, they call it blah, 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 underscore EXT. And then you explicitly choose that. Uh, I think a better approach, and this is what I did, though I had to do it through their web interface and not their iOS software, was to rename it the same as the one that's upstairs. Um, that way, as, as you said, the client can pick what it thinks is best, which is usually the right choice, but not always. But what I also like about this software is that, you know, versus the old, uh, I'm looking at their client software here and the nice thing is to help the placement. So they have rudimentary ways to place it in that if the LEDs aren't green for the bands, then it's just too far away. Sure. But, but then the software gives you a better indication of uh, how well it's set up. And for example, here now it's showing, okay, on your 2.4 gigahertz band, your uplink signal strength is 92%. Okay, that's good. Uh, and it's better than it was before the, in the last location I had it. And likewise, it's showing, okay, your five gigahertz uplink is 72%. Um, percent. Sure. And then it's showing the speeds of the two as well, the, uh, the negotiated speed of both of them. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, you didn't yeah. get that uh, with the old extent or a lot of older extenders didn't really give you anything beyond, okay, I'm, I'm connected. Um, so it's nice <laughs> right. that at least this, and I think most software for most modern extenders will, will give you some additional information to help you, uh, place it as, as well as possible. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. So a little bit of experimenting with the, with the wireless range extenders is almost certain to be required, uh, in order to, the, the idea would be if you're going to do this and this would apply to the mesh stuff too, uh, at, at some level. But you want to think about, okay, 
where am I putting this range extender and is it within the range of where I can already get sick, good signal from my main access point? Because you want it to be able to get some signal and then it will be able to rebroadcast that largely because it has two radios in it. So um, some of these range extenders I've used the, the Netgear, I think it was the ES, EX 6000 uh, allows you to, to dedicate the five gigahertz channel in the range extender to just for backhaul only so that it's actually not sharing a radio. It's just saying, okay, we're going to use this for backhaul and then we'll use the 2.4 radio to as the, as sort of the front facing client facing um, option. And that can work. But again, you've got to make some intelligent decisions and, uh, and all of that is up to you or as you pointed out to the clients, if you can name your network the same. With access points, the sort of uh, even better solution is a wired access point. So you've got your main router plugged into your, let's say your cable modem, whatever that is, um, your internet connection. And then you know that, uh, let, let's take my house, for example, you know, where I said, okay, the cable modem is in the basement. That's not actually true, but. Um, we'll use that as an example. And then I want to get coverage up to the bedroom on the third floor in the opposite corner of the house. And I figure if I've got uh, access point in opposite corners of the house, then, you know, they should meet in the middle and, and all should be good. The best way to get the signal there is with a wire between the two. If you have wires in your walls, this is a good option. Um, if you don't have wires in your walls, you can use things that we've talked about on the show over the years, like Powerline or Mocha. Uh, Powerline uses your AC power. You're not 802.11 AC power, but you're the wall plugs that you use to power your devices. Uh, it can actually send an Ethernet signal across those. You're only going to get somewhere between 75 and maybe 200 megabits per second, even with the gigabit ones, at least based on my experience. But it's something. And it's often better than you're going to get um, wirelessly, but not always, especially with AC. I actually get a better connection with AC than I do with Powerline. If you have Mocha, which is, or if you have coax cable in your walls, you can use Mocha, um, which then it does the same thing, but it does it over coax. And you can get, I mean, I'm getting with the bonded Mocha 2 stuff, I'm getting, you know, almost 900 megabits per second uh, over that. So that truly is almost like gigabit Ethernet. And if you've got this or can do this, then you can build what I call the quasi mesh, right? You name all, you, you have these access points wherever you want to put them in your home, wherever you need to put them in your home. You've connected them all via a wire, whether it's true Ethernet or, or you know, simulated Ethernet. And, uh, and then things can work pretty well. Uh, but you don't get, you still don't get the benefit of the access points knowing about each other and being part of that decision process. It's, it's left solely up to the clients, but it can work really well. And certainly over the last, you know, five to 10 years, that's been the best option for, for most homes. Um, certainly until mesh entered the, uh, entered the realm and, and it can work really well, but you know, you can bathe your home in Wi-Fi. It requires man individual management of each device, right? Cause you've got to set up each access point and manage them and all of that stuff. And your clients have to pick the right one. But most of the time, it's not awful if they pick what might be the wrong one because there's wires in between all of them. So how bad is it going to be? But that, you know, that quasi mesh can work out well. It's not going to be inexpensive. 
because you're buying multiple devices. You know, you figure each one of these things is going to cost a minimum of a hundred bucks. So you two or three of them, you're already at 300 bucks. You've got a mild management scenario. I don't want to call it a headache necessarily, but when it starts to break down, it is. Um, and then you've got it. Well, that's 300 bucks for your routers and access points. Now you've got to get power line between them. So, or Mocha. So you're adding another anywhere between a hundred and 200 bucks. So, you know, it again, 500 bucks gets you done and you might be actually in really good shape. In fact, that's, you know, sort of the default network at my house. Things, things change a lot though, but that's, that's been the default network and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, other than the fact that the access points aren't involved in the decision process. Thoughts on that, John, before we move on? Well, I would say if it's at all possible, <clears throat> I'd love to have Ethernet running everywhere in my house. But, mm-hmm. um, that's not really, uh, my house did not come equipped with that. No, mine didn't either, <laughs> which is why I use Mocha now. I use Powerline for a while, but yeah. And, um, you know, plus also not all devices have a Ethernet port, hardwired Ethernet port. You know, like your uh, iDevices or lots of your <laughs> well, yeah, but we're talking about your wireless access points, right? If you can, yes, if, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, good point. And actually, even some most range extenders will let you do a wired range extender setup, and they do have Ethernet ports that you can configure to be their backhaul, if you will, between the two devices or between all the devices. But um, but you got to make sure you're buying the right thing. Um, I recently set one of these up for uh, for John Donahue over at Backbeat Media with a Netgear EX7300 extender. And it's similar to the, uh, you know, to the TP-Link one that, that you set up, John, in that it, you know, just plugs directly into the wall and sort of sits right there. But um, but this one is, this one will support multi-user MIMO. Uh, you know, it's it's got, it's some... It's a pretty monstrous range extender, but um, in terms of its you know range and it's I think it's got four by four radios in it. It's it's pretty crazy, but it supports an Ethernet backhaul, which is great. Actually, it's got three by three radios. My apologies, um, but it's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Hey, okay, this one, but I think uh, this one, the 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 one that you you had brought the the RE three fifty K that has a gigabit Ethernet port, but I think that's not for connecting it to a wired no, network. No, I think, I think that'll actually, work for backhaul too. I think, I think you can do it either way. You can either, really? yeah, All you right. can either plug a client device in or use it as backhaul. You just configure it in there, you know, whatever it is, the web interface or the, the app or however. Yeah, I'll have to try it. it. I'm looking yeah. at the product description. It says gigabit Ethernet port X is a wireless bridge for connecting a wired device to your network. Right. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I want to try that. That's uh, the, that actually interested me when I, when I saw yeah. Ethernet port on a wireless extender. I'm like, well, what's that doing there? Well, and that can be a cool thing, right? Because if you, if you are bridge using wireless as the backhaul, but you have a device that is Ethernet only, then you might as well plug Ethernet in. And even if you don't have a device that's Ethernet only, if you're doing wireless backhaul to, let's say, let's say your TV is, area is separate from wherever your cable modem is. In most cases, you're probably better off putting your cable modem where your TV is just because so many of us now have lots of devices that need Internet access at our TV and need good quality Internet access. But if if not, let's think about it this way. Let's think, you know, the TV's on one side of the house. The cable modem, for whatever reason, is on the other. Uh, 
and you've got, you know, wire, one of these things that uses wireless backhaul, it might be mesh that we're about to talk about, or it might be a wireless range extender. Um, if it has an ethernet port on it, plug that into your wireless range extender because it cuts down on the second half of that bandwidth being cut up, right? By Because it's only going to be going, the, the range extender doesn't now have to broadcast what it just got wirelessly from the from the cable modem or from the router near the cable modem back out to your device. If it's got ethernet, the wireless only is used once, not twice. And that can work out really well. And you can even plug a switch into one of these to, to spread out your, you know, to have more than one ethernet port in that scenario. So bear, bear that in mind as a, a, you know, if you see an ethernet port there, you know, and then you've got an Apple TV right next to it and maybe your Roku or your TiVo or, you know, whatever it is, think about just buy a, you know, a cheap five port switch isn't going to be more than what, 30 bucks. And, uh, and you're good to go. Make sure you buy a, well, I was going to say, make sure you buy a gigabit switch, but with, with an Apple TV, they don't, they only support hundred megabit per second uh, ethernet connections, which is, right. but you know, you might, might as well buy a gigabit switch anyway, because they're, they're cheap, 30 bucks. Well, you know, yeah. And actually a little tangent here, but if you're going to get a switch, um, if at all possible, so I'm very happy with my. Uh, you can have a switch that's dumb that just routes traffic between the ports. Sure. And that's what you want. And and you don't want a hub. If you have a hub, throw it away. There's but, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't be buying a hub today anyway. It'd be very hard to find one. I've still seen some places where they have them hidden in a back room somewhere. Sure. Something that works. And it's like, well, I'm like, no, a hub? Because uh, yeah, hubs are bad. But anyways, uh, so switch, it, if you can get what they call a smart switch uh, that has intelligence that you can actually log into it and make it do intelligent things like, you know, quality of service and measuring bandwidth and stuff. I have the, um, I don't I'll, I'll dig up the exact model here. Um, the thing is now what I've been seeing also, Dave, is that, uh, so gigabit is the bare minimum that you should have, but uh 10 gig is, uh, up and coming. I've seen some devices at some of the shows that I've gone to, like some of the NAS devices now have 10 gigabit ports, which, Hey, the yeah. more the better. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I, in the scenario I described, I absolutely wouldn't recommend the 10 gigabit switch. I mean, if you have one and, and cost is not a factor, sure, plug it in. That's fine. But you're not going to use the 10 gigabit stuff if your backhaul is, you know, a wireless link. Um, but gigabit mm. is going to be more than enough. But it, it's worth being aware of these other texts that, that are coming out. So, And speaking of other texts, we've talked about QuasiMesh. We've talked about standalone. Let's talk about mesh because I know a lot of you are interested in this because this is the 2016 solution. And um, listener Tim asks the question. He says, uh, what is mesh? What does that mean? Um, and, and the idea behind a mesh is let's take what we know about a wireless range extender. Okay. So you have one device that's plugged into your internet connection, be it your cable modem, DSL, whatever that is. Then you start adding more wireless devices. The first one gets it's assuming everything remains wireless. And we'll talk about a wired mesh as well, but assuming everything remains wireless, you plug in the, the, so there's the first device. The second device gets its internet signal from the first one and then rebroadcasts that. So similar to a range extender. Then the third device 
gets its signal from one or both of the other two, whatever is best. And this is where some of the magic of mesh comes in because the mesh now is aware of all of the devices. So it could be three devices. It could be six devices. They're all aware of each other. They are configured with one interface, unless you drive yourself crazy and want to start tinkering. Some meshes will let you tinker. Some won't, but it's one interface. It's one SSID for all the radios. doesn't matter if it's 2.4 gigahertz, five gigahertz, or an extended radio or a close radio. They're all aware of each other. They figure out the best path for each of the mesh points to, to get its connection. And then when clients start associating, they also figure out the best point that they should be associated with and actually tell the clients to move around. There's, there's, um, there's a bunch of different 802.11 protocols, 802.11K, V, and R uh, are, are really built for the clients and the access points to talk to each other. And your iPhone supports this, believe it or not, even though Apple's routers never did, um, where the, the access point can say, hey, go move over there. And it makes the handoff really, really quick and smooth, and you don't even notice it. Um, and where this can get handy is, let's say you've got four people in a room, and all of them are doing some sort of streaming. None of the clients knows that the other clients are all streaming. And if they're all in the same room, chances are all those clients are going to pick the same access point to associate with. Makes sense. It's the closest one. Well, if you've got two other radios in the house that are unused and they know that, hey, I know I'm not the closest one to those devices, but I'm available and I'm close enough that they're going to get enough bandwidth. Let's tell one of those devices to hop to me and then let's tell another one of those devices to hop to that one. And now you've spread this out. So you're you're doing this whole multi-user, multiple radio scenario without even thinking about it. And that's where mesh starts to get really, really compelling because now you're making efficient use of all the radios in your house, as opposed to just letting the client sort of blindly choose whichever one appears best. That's where mesh starts to get really handy. Single SSID, single management interface, multiple access points working together to pick the best scenario for the given circumstances. And as things change, it will move things around. Did I get that right, John? I think, it, yeah, it, it um, versus the, the prior solutions, there's intelligence. Uh, some, of it, yeah. some of it uses standards. Some of it is their own secret sauce. Like I think Eero and maybe some of the others have some kind of proprietary stuff that they're doing in addition to the standards. So give you the best experience. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think they're using mesh standards. I, I believe... And and you're going to quote me on this, even if I'm wrong, so it's OK. But I believe Eero uses a standard called Batman, and it, it's it's actually an acronym for something. Uh, and it might be Batman Extended or something. There's There's been several versions of this, but it's a mesh standard, uh, at least at its core. That's what Eero uses. And I believe things like the, the Netgear Orbi, or maybe maybe it's the Amplify, use one called 802.11S, which is another mesh standard. Um, so they're out there. 
as far as things are concerned today, none of the mesh brands that we are going to talk about interoperate with one another. So if you have, let's say, three Eros and you decide you need a fourth mesh access point, you have to buy another Eero. You can't go and buy like a ubiquity access point or, a, you know, a, a, another Netgear Orbi to just add to the system. It won't work that way. Uh, you, you need to stick with the same brand. So, yeah, there, there's mm-hmm. there's certainly some level, I, whether the sauce is secret or not, I'm not sure, but it's it's certainly limited to that particular brand. Uh, and that makes sense. And maybe someday we will get to a point where there's interoperability. Uh, who knows? We'll see where the market takes us. Yeah. They call it a true mesh. Well, true mesh is Eero's new term, right? So Eero pushed a software update this week that made a lot of enhancements to their mesh. And, and they call it version 2.0 of, of their um firmware yep, i got that when i set mine up i sure. was actually impressed both products were like up oh, there's something new I'm yeah like, okay yeah so so yeah true mesh is is sort of eros uh, second generation uh mesh intelligence um and and that's they're the, kind of getting ahead of ourselves here i'm gonna I'll, we'll leave it we'll, we'll move on so so the the benefit of of mesh is that you get as we said one of the benefits single ssid the range of these things. Um, so I, I tested, I've tested four of them now. I did an article earlier this week that uh, you may or may not have seen, but uh, I, where I talked about three of them, Eero, uh, Orbi, which is Netgear's, and then Amplify, which comes from Ubiquity. Ubiquity's an interesting player here because they've been making things like mesh networks for, I think, at least a decade, if not more, but for the enterprise. So this is not a new concept. It's just new for us as consumers. So it's interesting to have um, Ubiquity playing here. So I tested those three. And then since the article came out over our Thanksgiving holiday weekend, I tested the one called Luma, which uh, yet another one, uh, sort of a standalone company, if you will, new to the the market and only with mesh, kind of like Eero. Uh, Netgear obviously has been making routers and many other things for for decades too. So we've got two existing players and two, what I'll call new players, even though they've been around for, for a while range um, on these things. Once you, in terms of the mesh uh, has been varied. Um, The range from the access points to client devices is all about the same with these. Um, in terms of how far you can go. However, the range between the access points or the mesh points, if you will, everybody's got different terms for this. So we're just going to call them mesh points. Uh, range between the mesh points varies. Uh, Netgear's Orbi, John, is a bit of a, a bit of magic, to be perfectly frank with you. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with this thing. Uh it's a little different than what everybody else is doing. So Netgear's uh, Orbi has three radios in it. It's got a 2.4 gigahertz radio for clients. It's got a five gigahertz radio for clients. And then it has a five gigahertz radio that is only for the backhaul between the Orbi system. Now the Orbi is not a normal mesh. In fact, it could be argued that it's not mesh at all. 
because the Orbi mesh points will only talk back to the router. They won't talk to each other to extend the network. However, whatever they're doing with this five gigahertz backhaul radio, it's a four by four radio. Um, it supports multi-user MIMO, but again, only between the mesh points. I have, um, so my house is, uh, I don't know, let's say about 50 feet wide. Right. And then my driveway is probably another 75 feet. And then I have my office. So I have the Orbi sitting, the Orbi router sitting at the far end of my house. So many rooms and walls to go through. Then it has to go across the driveway and then it has to permeate the wall of my office. And then inside there, I've got the other Orbi. This is how I tested this. Uh, I was getting over a hundred megabits per second between those two devices. The Eero, when I tested it, I had the Eero, I had one Eero at the place where the Orbi is. Then I had another one at the closer edge of the house. And then I had one in the office. Presumably the one in the office was then getting its signal from the one closer. Okay. I tried the same with the Luma. The Luma, I couldn't even see in the office and the Amplify, I couldn't even see in the office. The Eero is the only one that worked in the office in addition to the Orbi. And the Eero, I got maybe 50 megabits per second. So whatever Orbi is doing to get this signal between the Orbeez is pretty amazing. Now, I'm not going to say it's related, but our turkey cooked a lot faster this year, John, on Thanksgiving than it normally should have. <laughs> and the Orbi was running at that point in time. Uh, so it, in terms of range between the units... The Orbi absolutely, hands down, beats everything. But uh, once you start connecting clients, the ranges there are all about the all about the same. From what I tested, um, and and but but the range is all very very good. Don't don't let that. Um, it it it's in fact it's it's stellar because again these things are all sort of engineering themselves in real time to target the right client at the right time. They're using things like beam forming and, uh, and all of that to make sure that these, that these radios are doing what they can to target the right client because they can assign other radios to other clients. So, so this mesh intelligence gets really, really interesting questions, John, before we move on here. Uh, are we going to do observations later? Cause I do have an observation about the Orbi. Yeah, well, let, let's get let's get through. Um, yeah, yeah. What's your observation? Go ahead. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll give you the observation. So, so what I did to test the throughput of the devices. So, I have my TP-Link, the Orbi, and the Eero, um, and I used iPerf between a wired machine and uh, a wireless. Very standards. Sure. Um, so one was 802.11n, which is what's built into my MacBook. I yep. also have an AC, 802AC adapter that connects via USB, the bare extender. And then I use my phone. Uh, the Orbi gave me the most consistent throughput on the order of about 200, a little over 200 megabits per second. Pretty okay. much any, anywhere I tested. Um, okay. So hats off to Orbi for offering very consistent performance, no matter where I was. I tested in multiple rooms and... And it always came out to about 200 megabits per second. Yep. Uh, now, keep in mind, you know, it's not testing, you know, it's not stressing it, but it, but I think it says something about the design of the uh, 
product. And also the setup was uh, the most pleasant of all of them in that it offered a web interface. Uh, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Let's, let's we'll we're going to come later. back around to setup because, because you and I, we experienced exactly the same thing. And I believe we have different conclusions over which we right. refer. So, so it was just cool. So the throughputs, um, yeah, Orbi again offered the most consistent performance uh, throughout my environment. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, yeah. So here, here's the as as we're kind of comparing these things. So, uh, in a general sense, really to me, it 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 comes down to after testing all four of these, and and of course, you know, we're doing this weeks before Google's Home or sorry, Google Wi-Fi is released. Now, Google Wi-Fi pushed out a study that said that it was faster than Eero in, in all these environments. That was before Eero's new software update came out. And it's also, a, you know, a, an in, I'll call an in-house survey. They, they had a third-party term firm do it. But they haven't really sent this stuff out to any reviewers like, like us yet. Um, so, or at least if they have, those results haven't been published. Or, you know, maybe they're still under embargo or whatever. This this landscape changes a lot and changes very quickly. Um, Eero, based on my experience, got quite a bit faster. So I didn't it didn't get twice as fast for me with the version 2.0, but it definitely got faster. Uh, but some people are saying that they're they're seeing it work twice as fast. And these are real world scenario, not just Eero's you know marketing department. Um, so you know the Eero's doing a great job, and we'll talk about some of the specifics there. Orbi is as well. Um, Luma was in terms of speeds was the weakest that I found. I couldn't get anything faster than about, you know, 40 or 50 megabits per second out of this thing. And I'm not sure why, um, but it, it was very inconsistent. Occasionally, actually, occasionally I did see it spike up to about a hundred and then it, it, and then it would drop back down. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure what, you know, what's uh, what the story is there, but, uh, but again, you know, six months from now, everything we're about to tell you could change. And that's with the exact same hardware that we currently have. The software updates to this stuff make a huge difference. Uh, so Orbi's fine. Um, obviously, it has this amazing wireless backhaul. It has four Ethernet ports on each device. So the, the router one, one of those Ethernet ports becomes used for your connection to the cable modem. And then the other three can be have stuff plugged in. On the satellites, uh, you can plug in four devices as clients, as, as we mentioned before. What the Orbi does not currently support via Ethernet, though they say it likely will come in a software update, uh, they don't have a date for it, is Ethernet backhaul. So if you happen to have Ethernet in your walls, you cannot currently use that with Orbi for the backhaul. Now, they have this amazing wireless backhaul, so you may not need it. Even in my scenario, I was impressed with the 100 megabits between the house and the office. I have a gigabit Ethernet cable 10 times as fast. Why can't I use that? Well, because they haven't enabled it in software yet. Hopefully they do. Eero and Luma allow Ethernet for backhaul in the, uh, you know, in the current implementation. And I see that as a huge plus. So many of us that have had trouble with our wireless have solved the Ethernet problem. Uh, be again, be it Powerline or Mocha, whatever it is, or actual Ethernet, uh, whatever it is, we've solved that. And we have those cables. Lots of current homes have been built with Ethernet. We have those cables in the walls. Mesh is awesome and can really be a good answer in those scenarios. 
uh, no reason not to take advantage of the ethernet that's in the wall. So I think that's a, that's a huge one for me. Um, QOS we've talked about on this show. QOS I'm talking about on the WAN port. So on the internet port, something to manage the bandwidth to and from the internet to make sure that when one device wants to have all of it, it doesn't slow down all your other devices. Apple's routers don't support this. It's the one of the reasons we haven't recommended them for a long time. Only one of the four mesh points devices that we tested have it, and that's Eero. Um, Orbi does not, which shocks me because Netgear has it in almost every other one of their routers in their standard firmware. So is it coming? They haven't said whether it is or it isn't, uh, but it's certainly not far away. In fact, my guess is that the engineers that work on Orbi have written QoS software, or implemented QoS uh, protocols into other routers that they've built while they're at Netgear. So could it could come for any of these, as long as the CPUs in the devices are fast enough to handle it. Um, so, so there's that. Um, and, and it's because of those two reasons, the, the ethernet backhaul capability, the WAN QoS that makes it easy for me to say for all of you or Eero, sorry, almost got that wrong for all of you. Eero is absolutely what I would recommend. It's, and we're, and we're going to, we're about to talk about setup, but it's very easy to set up. Um, it manages itself very, very well. And you just don't have to think about it. It just works. Um, but if you need that long backhaul, Orbi is worth a serious look at this point. And it, you know, it's, it's a really close call for me between these two Orbi and Eero. But, um, but given those two things, I, I have to give the nod to Eero. They're much further down this path of mesh than anyone else is you know they they release software updates every two weeks they're obsessed about it it's the only product they make and um and frankly this has nothing to do with them being a sponsor i i was i actually expected to be blown away by the amplify believe it or not just because it came from ubiquity who's been doing this for a long time and there's parts about the amplify that i really like the base station looks like an alarm clock it's got a touch screen on it it's actually really awesome um but um their access points have no Ethernet ports on them at all, so you can't use them for backhaul or for clients. Um, and it's just kind of a clunky setup process. I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't as impressed as I expected to be. But again, software could, software updates could change a lot of that. They can't change the Ethernet, uh, the lack of Ethernet ports, but they could release a different mesh point that has those if they find that clients want them. So, let's talk about setup, John. Unless you have questions or comments about your actually before we talk about setup usage experience stuff that that will help people decide. As far as usage of the devices. Like just not sitting down testing just usage, right? And that's where the QoS comes in. That's where the, you know, Ethernet availability comes in. Just what generally speaking your experience with using these things, what are your thoughts? Because that's how most people are going to look at this, right? Uh, I think they were pretty much equal of the two that I did, which yeah. is the Eero and the Orbi, is that once once it's set up, it's you don't really think about it. It, that's it the takes beauty. over. Yep. <laughs> I know. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, compared to extending my network with the TP-Link extender, that took, that takes some effort. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, you know, one of my 
looking at one of my tests here, the thing is, as we, you know, they're refining their softwares that I found that um, the Eero, the, the performance was more varied uh, versus the Orbi. I'll just say that as far as raw throughput with a single device, it, it, it varied more and it could be because they're, you know, they're refining. Yep. I mean, I just got the 2.0.0. It's, it's like fresh out of the gate. So they're, right. you know, well, now what, what sort of variances are you seeing? Um, so if I was using an N radio on the Eero, I would get about 200 uh, megabits. If I was using an AC radio, uh, I would see maybe in the high hundreds. Um, so again, wasn't consistent as the Orbi. The Orbi was pretty. Right, slow, slow down. Devices. Slow down. So you you said N, but N, is that two point four gigahertz N or five gigahertz N? Uh, I I believe it was always five when I looked at it. Yes, because I, I checked the uh, yeah the index. Uh, it was always choosing five gigahertz forty megahertz wide channels okay call my tests here okay um, and you were getting faster throughput with n than ac yeah yeah that's weird maybe not by a lot are you sure your n wasn't on 2.4 uh, it may have made that choice okay um but which at least on the mac of course i checked that by you know if you click on the airport menu and hold mm. alt um It'll show you the uh, frequency and the and the width of the channel. Um, yeah, well, on the Mac, you would never get forty gigahertz two point four. That you'll only get twenty uh, gigahertz two point four. Okay. Apple okay. Apple made that decision a long time ago, which is a good decision. You shouldn't be running. I don't think you should be running forty gigahertz, forty megahertz, two point four channels. They're too wide. They get in the way of everything. Okay, but that, that that's the the only. Uh, you know, in the, in the iPerf testing that I did, yeah. that the uh, Eero performance was, uh, was more varied um, on AC versus N, not so with the Orbi. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I got the best performance, uh, though, uh, though with the Eero, I got to say, I got the best throughput on my phone, running iPerf on my phone. So. Huh. That's you know, interesting. They, they, all, they all have their, uh, they all have their, their, you know, strengths and weaknesses. They do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Makes sense. All right, so the the setup process of these is um it, each one is different. So Orbi and Amplify are what I would call the most standard setup, although they're different from each other too. But they're standard in that you are connecting directly to the device. You associate with the device. It it will the era, sorry, the Orbi from Netgear has its uh, network SSID and password printed on the device that you can connect to kind of like a normal standard router would the amplify has uh, creates its own uh, SSID and displays it on its, on its nice little touchscreen that you can connect to. And then from there you, you configure the devices, but you're doing it locally, right? Where you're connecting via Wi-Fi to these devices and then configuring them. The Amplify has a very rudimentary web interface. Most of the, the, the configuration is done with their app, which is fine. Android or iOS. The Orbi 
Um, you can use the Netgear Genie app for Android or iOS, but the, the primary and preferred way to configure them is with a sort of what I'll call standard web interface. Again, you're, you're, you're going to one interface and configuring the entire mesh from one interface with any of these, which is great. The Eero and the Luma both do things a little bit differently. They are both cloud managed. Okay. So you never, uh, other than the initial configuration, which is done over Bluetooth, uh, you launch their app. The app associates with the, either the Eero or the Luma, it's a different app, obviously different companies, but, but basically the same thing. They connect with Bluetooth and um, send some signals back and forth, but also the app then communicates with the cloud from either Eero or Luma. And then once the device is online, it all gets connected and all of the management of both Eero and Luma is done with the cloud. The app talks to the cloud the cloud talks back to the device. Uh, there's security reasons for this, but there's also just simplification reasons. It can be a little frustrating, though, if you can't be online at the same time you are trying to get things configured. So uh, if you don't have cell service where you're trying to configure it, like my dad's house in his basement when I was setting up his Orbi, uh, sorry, when I was setting up his Eero, too many of these names, four letters starting with a vowel. Uh, when I was setting up a zero, I had to kind of keep going up and down stairs to, to, to make all this work. But, um, but the nice part is remote management is just sort of built into the process. If I want to manage my dad's Eero from here, I simply launch the app on my phone and choose his network and I can manage it just the same as if I'm at his house, um, which is kind of cool. And the same obviously is true with, with Luma. So my recommendation with all of these, if you have an existing router set up, is to plug these in behind your existing router. Don't power down your router yet. Get them up, get them running, get their firmware updated, which will happen automatically, as John pointed out. And then, and only then, power down your existing router, power down your cable modem, and sort of move these to the front of the line and decommission your old router at that point. That way, if you do need to get online with your device, either for the, the actual setup or to look up something on a knowledge base or get in touch with tech support or anything like that. You have your old existing Wi-Fi network already still in place and you're in good shape. All that said, John, you went through exactly the same setup experience I did with, with Orbi and Eero. Um, talk to me about what you did and didn't like. Actually, um, you know what, you know what, wait I on that. Wait one minute on that. Because actually, you're going to wait because I want to talk about. I know what you're going to say, yeah, or what you want to do, and I fully approve. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Fat Cat Software and Power Photos. Apple's Photos app is actually pretty great. Uh, it interfaces with iCloud Photo Library. It will slurp pictures, not all only off your phones locally, but also off your cameras. Photos does a great job, but it kind of stops there. If you need to do anything with your photo libraries, there's not a whole lot that photos is going to let you do. And that's what fat cat software's power photos is built to do is manage all of these things. So you can have multiple libraries running. Uh, in photos. And then what you can do with power photos is you can copy pictures between them. 
You can merge libraries. So if you have multiple libraries and want to merge them together, it will do it. And it's got a great duplicate detection tool that can be used as part of that process. It can be used standalone, too, if you want to just look for duplicates in your existing library. If you have one monstrous library and you want to split it apart so that you can manage more efficiently, guess what? Power Photos will do that, too. This is the add-on for photos that every photos user needs. There's just no question about it. And this is not their first rodeo. Fat Cat Software made a tool called iPhoto Library Manager, or IPLM, as we called it on this show for years and years, doing exactly the same thing for iPhoto. Obviously, iPhoto and Photos, very different library structures. So the tool needed to be built separately for photos. These folks know what they're doing and they know what you as a user are going to want to do. And that's what they've built with power photos. So go check it out. Go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. That will get you not only to a page that lets them know we sent you, but also to a page that shows you about the MGG coupon, which gives you 20% off of a license for power photos. Now, here's the cool thing. A license for power photos also gets you a license for iPhoto Library Manager. You may not need that. If you've already migrated everything away from iPhoto, you're fine. But if you haven't, well, now you've got iPhoto Library Manager as well thrown in as part of the deal. Go check it out. Fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Fat Cat Software for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Now it's time to talk setup. Mm hmm. So I talked about the process and the way all these work. You uh, but I didn't necessarily give my uh, my opinions on which I preferred. Why don't you go ahead and give us yours first? I'll offer a minor fist shake. Yeah. To Eero. Really? Well, first off, I'm like, uh, I'm uh, the Orbi was the first one I set up, but I'm going to talk about the Eero first. Okay. Because there were just, I had more problems with it than with the Orbi. So the Eero, the first thing is they're like, okay, well, uh, you want to set this up? Uh, you're going to have to download the iOS or Android app. And I'm like, right. Huh? There's no web interface. So that concerns me because, well, one. Now it threw me off too. I mean, it's a, let's it's pretend, a different way of doing things, right? Because it's got let's this Bluetooth pretend, thing. Well, also, let's pretend that you're a person that doesn't have an iOS or Android device, but you want to take advantage of a mesh. And I'm sure there are people out there yeah, that I'm want sure to do you're that. Right. I'm sure you're um, right. Yep. The Euro, you wouldn't be able to set up the Euro. You're out of luck. That's right. Nor, well, nor could you, you configure it ever. I mean, it, even if someone unless, else came you know, and set it actually, up for you. Now that I think about it, you may be able to run an iOS emulator within like Xcode or something no. and do it. No, because it's got to do the the Bluetooth association with the um, with the Eero. Right, but uh, I would think most Macs have Bluetooth. Yeah, but I don't right? think the emulator will do it. Uh, okay. It might. It All might. Right. I could be wrong about that. But yeah, no, without a smartphone, you, you are not going to be able to set up an Eero or a Luma or really an Amplify, you could get it set up, barely. Yeah. Uh, but the, the Netgear, certainly you could. Yeah, whereas all of the other products, so my TP-Link router, the TP-Link extender, have both a web interface and a uh, iOS app. You know, choose which one you want to use. Um, 
because you may not always get all the features in an iOS app because you have, you know, limited screen real estate, well, at least with an iPhone, maybe not so much an iPad. So that kind of bothered me. And then the other thing, I just ran into a problem. I don't know if it's a bug in the software or whatever, but I, so when you're setting up NAT or you're setting up your local network, you're, you're typically going to be using uh, what's called a non-routable subnet. And that'll either be a 10 dot something address or a 192 address, or I choose just to be different. And maybe this is my fault. I choose a 172 address. So my internal network is one, the, my router is 172.16.1.1. Yeah, you're a weird one. We knew yeah. that and we love you for it, really. <laughs> but, you know. And the thing is, I have my wired devices uh, hard-coded with a specific IP address that is within one of those. You know, so my Synology has one. And I, I know I have them memorized or I have them stored in my list of servers to connect to, you know, my printer as well. Um, I could not figure out using Eero's iOS software how to set up so that the Eero was 172.16.1.1. Yeah. It allowed me to get close. It, it allowed me, I believe, so, so, they, so a requirement of theirs, which I, okay, makes sense, is that they said it has to end in a dot one. And that, that, that's kind of standard, I think, for most, you know, router addresses, right? Yeah, yeah. My, mine actually ends in dot 10, but, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, I get it. They want the dot, whatever the, the first three octets are, they want it dot one to be the, the euro. Okay. The thing is, so when I went to the place in the software to set this up, the closest they would let me, now I don't know if it's because the sub, I, I tried to put in the same subnet and uh, IP for the router as I, as I do on my other equipment. And it just wouldn't let me, it kept saying, that's not that valid. That's not valid. I'll let you set up 172.16.0.1 one with this kind of weird subnet that's a little different from what you have. And I'm like, oh, let me. and it kind of worked, but it kind of didn't. My, some of my devices got upset because they, you know, weren't going to quite the same address and I didn't want to recode them all. So uh, I'll have to revisit it, but uh, I had to, f- well, it, it, I, I think it, it, I it think disappointed me that is... I had to fight. I, I wasn't able, I didn't run into this problem with the Orbi, the Orbi. I was able to, get through the setup and say, oh, by the way, you are 172.16.1.1. Here's your subnet. And it's like, fine. Okay, we're good. Yeah. The era I had to fight with it and it didn't do quite what I wanted. So you could blame me, but you know, no, don't blame the user. I, I kind of think I know what I'm doing. So, well, so I ran yeah. into some difficulty with the Eero. I'll, I'll go through it again. I'll reset it. And sure. you know, maybe it was just a, a brain fart on my end, but, um, but it wouldn't let me at some point type in the values that, I was able to type in using other products. All right. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and you, you, um, so other than that, the setup was very smooth. It was like, okay, you know, plug in the, you know, and actually uh, to give them credit though, what I think was very clever. So it's smart about the ethernet ports, you know, each device has two. So what I liked is, you know, I plugged in, my um, cable modem into one port and then I plugged my switch into the other port and it was like, yep, I, I get it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That I will give them because the, the, you know, the Orbi has a traditional, you know, here's the WAN port and then here are the LAN ports. Well, so that's right. The Eero and the Luma um, are both, all the devices are the same. 
in, in, in each of the systems, right? So there is no one device that you have to use as the router versus others that are used as the satellites. The, the Amplify and the Orbi, most certainly, there is one device that is very much only the router and other devices that are very much only the satellites or whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and yeah, with the Eero and the Luma, it's just Eero and Luma are very, very similar in, in terms of kind of the, the outward appearance. But, um, my, like I said, my experience with them both was very, very different. The, the, the Luma folks, I actually had a problem, but again, it was a, sort of a weird thing because of the, because I was setting it up behind my router, uh, initially as I sort of, as I advise everyone to do. And because of the way I'm using IPv6 here, uh, it got a little bit funky, but once it had a software update, then it was all fine. Everything was great. Their support staff was, was great, but it, it's, it's clear that Luma isn't nearly as far down the path as Eero is. Um, and those folks are really, they're really paying attention. Now, here's something that, uh, that I see as a good thing. You may actually see as a bad thing. Eero pulls information about every network that they have. Now this is non-personally identifiable information, but it's information nonetheless about what types of services uh, need, what types of bandwidth, what types of environments work well, what types don't. And they use this sort of, you know, they've got over a million devices connected to Eros out there. And so by kind of pulling this information together, pulling this data together, and synthesizing it all, they're able to really get a picture like they they know far more about what works and doesn't work in mesh networks than probably anyone else currently because of this. And that's part of what's able to guide them into like, you know, creating what what they're calling true mesh, right, uh, where they've, they've been able to pull all this stuff together and make the networks faster uh, it also is the thing that helps them manage their their QoS implementation where they see, oh, wait a minute, this particular service is, you know, eating up lots of bandwidth. Why we're seeing it in hundreds of devices. What's doing that? So but if you're someone who, it, you know, uh, values your privacy extremely, uh, then you may not want to be a part of this. And as far as I know, I don't think there's a way to opt out, but but maybe that's coming. Um, here's, um, my thoughts on the, on the setup process. I, I, um, the Orbi was fine. The web interface was fine. It, it felt very standard. You know, if you're used to normal routers, then it, it felt fine. I actually, other than the frustration of needing to be online with my phone at the same time as being connected via Bluetooth to either the Eero or the Luma, I actually really like the app for management, uh, but I too don't totally get what you're, what you're saying, John, you know, if you don't have a smartphone, chances are, if, if you don't have a smartphone, you, you might not really be in the market for a mesh system. I mean, I think, I think there might be some scenarios where, where that's true, but I think they're fringe scenarios uh, to be perfectly honest. So, but I get it. I get what you're saying. Here's the uh, so so now let's let's talk about us geeks, because while all of these vendors are doing cool things, the features that are available to end users are not always what we want. In fact, none of these devices currently offers everything that I would want. Um, 
and that may and that may remain true forever, right? I mean, these mesh networks, the whole concept behind them is make it simple, make it so that the user can just plug it in and have their home bathed and blanketed in Wi-Fi. And, uh, and then actually to that end, I would say all of these things succeed at that. There's, there's some nitpicks that we've gone through here, but they all succeed at, at, at sort of doing this without you having to think much about it. But maybe you're someone like me that likes the current setup of your router or even John, right? I mean, you're very particular about the way you want your uh, router set up. So maybe you want to use your existing router with a mesh setup. So your router lives as the front door. You turn off the Wi-Fi on your router and you use the mesh in bridge mode. And that is possible with everything except the Luma right now. The Luma will only operate in router mode, but you can set the Eero into bridge mode. You can set the Orbi into bridge mode and you can set the Amplify into bridge mode. And obviously you lose things like, like QoS doesn't exist in bridge mode because the, these devices are not managing the internet connection, but you do get the advantage of the mesh. And so, you know, the, the, that becomes a very compelling scenario. It, it's not inexpensive because you're adding a router to the price of what already is a router. So you're duplicating some basic functionality for the convenience of more granular functionality on the, uh, on the back end, And that that's a scenario that I've kind of been running with on and off here as I've been testing these things for a while. Um, I mean, I do run them in router mode so that I can experience that too, but then I like to run them in bridge mode so that I can, you know, go back to my crazy DDWRT configuration and all of that that I'm very used to and yet still have this mesh. Um, and that's where not having Ethernet as the backhaul on the Orbi really starts to hurt it, I think. But again, they say this might be coming. So uh, it, it's not ruled out. Six months from now, we could do an episode like this again. And um, it, it might be totally different. Thoughts, John? Um, yeah, I think that might gripe. It, it had everything that I would expect the, the you know, the Eero app there to have. Um. I mean, I tried to set up, you know, tunneling for, for like my VPN and stuff like that. Um, it was just that, that one hiccup. Um, yeah, the VPN. Uh, so none of these, well, only one of these has its own VPN server built in. And that's the, the Orbi from Netgear. I noticed that. Yes. Yep. Um, otherwise, in the Eero, what I, I tried to do, but again, because I had this slight network mismatches, you know, so I have open VPN and, you know, you have to create a... Uh, tunnel and they, they allow you to do that yeah. you know, or do port forwarding um, hats off to their documentation team though, Dave, because what they do say on their webpage, about now, their we were app, talking about who's, who's documentation team hero. Thank you. Um, so they say their app supports setting up DHCP, NAT, DNS, UPnP port forwarding and flux capacitation. <laughs> I, I, I think that's, that's coming awesome. in the future because I couldn't find the, the setting for the flux <laughs> right. capacitor. <laughs> Um, that'll cook your turkey yeah any yeah 1.2 gigawatts um yeah but um yeah again i i gotta revisit it yeah know, but um you know some people are telling me well you know don't do that then and that's like well i, I should be able to <laughs> right right um i want to answer a question that, that we definitely answered it during the flow of the show but because uh scott in the chat room is asking it it probably means we weren't entirely clear about it so chat room at com slash stream thank you folks for always being involved here and kind of nudging us along in the right direction scott asks he says 
I have an iPhone at home, but it's Wi-Fi only, no cell signal at the house. Does that preclude me from setting up the Eero? Um, and the answer is no, as long as you set up the Eero as a sub network of your existing Wi-Fi setup first. Your phone will need access to the internet in some way, but it doesn't matter how. So uh, whereas most people would be using it, you know, from their, their cell signal, if you have an existing wireless network set up, leave that set up. And again, this is my advice for all of these mesh systems, because they all are going to need to be able to talk out to the, uh, to the internet and your phone might need to talk out to the internet separately while you're setting these up. So set, plug them in, take the WAN port of your mesh system. So the thing that would, you would connect to your cable modem. And instead of connecting that to your cable modem, connect it to your existing router, your network, your, your Eero in this case, but any of them will set themselves up as though they are connected to the internet, even though there's this other layer between them, but that gives you the ability to connect to the internet via the old slash existing system during the process. And, and then once you get it all set up and everything's working, then power it all down, uh, including your cable modem so that it resets properly and then power it up with the Eero in your case, connected directly to the cable modem and go from there. So that that's, that's the way I would recommend doing all of these. You're going to invariably, you're going to need some sort of internet access during the process. And, uh, and like I said, when I set Eero up at my dad's, I did not follow that. And, um, and it was, it was just mildly frustrating. I mean, I knew what was going on. I was like, well, I could set up his old network again, but I feel like if I run up and down the stairs a couple of times, I'll get some exercise and we'll get them all set up. And we did. So, um, and then, uh, uh, someone in the chat room asks, do any of these mesh networks have guest network capabilities? And the answer is yes. And I believe the answer is all of them. Um, Eero definitely does. Luma definitely does. Netgear. Boy, I am. Yes, it does. As does. Oh, no. Netgear doesn't. The Orbi does not yet, but it's coming. And, and I think the number of days before we see it is in the single digits. So that that's where that's where that is. And then Amplify definitely does as well. So um, I think I think that's our questions, John. Any other uh, any other thoughts before we before we move on? We are going to have lots of questions from all of you, um, of course, and we're happy to answer those as we as we move forward. For those of you that are listening this weekend, uh, this is Black Friday weekend uh, here in the U.S., not all of these routers are available in the U.S. In fact, uh, I believe only the Orbi, I'm not sure about Luma, uh, but Eero and Amplify, I don't believe are available outside the U.S. yet. I believe Orbi is the only one that's available outside the U.S. The Orbi comes traditionally in a two-pack setup, um, just the, the router and one satellite. But uh, based on the, the distance that you can go between the two of them, uh, the coverage should be okay for most homes. They they are going to offer a three pack um, that uh, that should be out soon, and and you can then you could buy individual ones. But um, both Luma and Eero are offering Black Friday deals on their routers, and then of course because Eero's a kind of a ongoing sponsor of the show, you can use coupon code MGG at Eero's online store to get overnight shipping, so you can have this thing in your house tomorrow if you're in the U.S. That's what I got on that. But please send in your questions and um, 
and we will of course answer these and and dig through this and and get through it all together especially now that apple is it looks like apple hasn't said anything officially but they haven't said anything officially about uh, a lot of things that they do so i think it's true that apple's out of the out of the uh, router market and that's a good thing i think it opens the door for a lot of this stuff hopefully we'll see eero in apple stores any thoughts john before we uh before we migrate out of this get out of this mesh <laughs> ah hey that was good was that good um no i've uh for the time being i've reverted back to my uh you know original setup here but i'll uh you know give these guys another whirl um I yeah they're they're gonna be uh they're gonna be evolving absolutely and, and even in the time that i you know i started testing these in what maybe august probably september i've already seen like wholesale changes to every one of the things that we've discussed here uh, it just changes really really quickly which is good uh it's how it is but it's a little bit of bleeding edge but it works you know like i said there's we, we've identified some caveats hopefully we've given you some guidance as to not only what to get but how to get set up and uh how to make that process go smoothly so yep <clears throat> fun stuff feedback at macgeekab.com folks is the place that you can send all your questions to us about this I'm, I'm almost certain you said feedback at macgeekab.com yeah yeah I said feedback at macgeekab.com because that's where you can go unless you are a premium subscriber and if you are Send us to premium at macgeekab.com and we will address your stuff first. If you're interested in becoming a premium subscriber, we would love to have you. Visit uh, macgeekab.com and there's a link right there that will bring you to the place where you can choose how you want to support us directly. We would very much appreciate it. How else can they find us, John? Um, well, there's always, and as of late, uh, either directly or to the uh, Twitter account, uh, we get questions there. Uh, I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. That other guy who is flying around somewhere is Pilot Pete. There's also Mac Geek Gab for the podcast and Mac Observer for all sorts of Mac and iDevice knowledge and wisdom. At Twitter.com. Indeed. Uh, I want to make sure we thank Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Our podcast marketplace with our fantastic sponsors, of course, Fat Cat Software at FatCatSoftware.com slash MGG. Power Photos is what you're going to get there. Gazelle at Gazelle.com. Smile at SmileSoftware.com slash Geek. Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. And Barebones Software. Barebones.com. All through Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Folks, you now hopefully know what to buy if you want a uh, new router or a mesh network. Hopefully you know where to buy it. And hopefully once you get it all set up, you'll have great, luscious Wi-Fi throughout your home. And you can finally sit back and know your family's going to get the Wi-Fi they want and you won't get caught. Made up.